Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the Vigilance Press Podcast. My special guest today is no mere mortal. He is the uh, creator of MythEnder, the role-playing game, Ryan Macklin. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. No mere mortal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had to bring that one in. Um, so we're going to talk to you about the MythEnder role-playing game in detail today, but before that, I wanted to just kind of refresh people's memory if they haven't heard your name a hundred times this year like I have. Um, everywhere I look, your name's been popping up, but uh, you're primarily an editor for uh, Paizo Publishing, right? Yeah, my day job is editing for Paizo, so I work on Pathfinder, um, the various products there. Um, you know, the player companions, the hardcovers, adventure paths, all that stuff that goes through me and the other, uh, the rest of the editors there um, who are awesome people who constantly make me learn new things, and it's awesome. Um, it's a- one of the things that they would do is, in fact, perhaps edit out parts of this uh, introduction uh, that I just said that were redundant. That's why I love them. <laughs> That's okay. We're all about redundancy here. Woo! Um, <laughs> also, woo! <laughs> and again, woo! Um, so, yeah, one of the things I really like about Pathfinder is just the attention to detail, everything they do. Um, it's, it's very well-presented, very clean very professional they they have some of the best layouts i've ever seen um but just every every detail seems to be in place with that um i just started playing the new pathfinder adventure game and we've been addicted to it the card game yeah but yeah, that uh, one was that one went crazy at gen con yeah uh yeah that was like it was sold out like the first day and we found new copies and people have been loving that i i saw like two weeks after it came out, there was somebody on Board Game Geek who talked about. So I've played it forty times now, and here's what I think. And like it's been out for like two weeks, maybe a month. It's <laughs> mind is blown. It's, yeah, it's that's it's it's pretty fun. It 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 very much to me um, reminds me of kind of video games that I really enjoyed, like playing over and over just to see what new iterations would pop up. So I'm like constantly replaying scenarios. Um, with different characters, different setups, different decks, things like that. Yeah, and I, I really like uh, a lot of the design decisions that Mike Selinker did on that, where uh, the the fact that it's the the sense that it has the persistence that it does is just amazing, mm-hmm. and all little like design things that fit into that are awesome. Yeah. Um, Very much looking forward to future supplements to see how that changes the, you know, if if it actually holds up over time as you're constantly adding new cards or if things start to break down a little bit. Very interested to see how that all comes together. Yeah, so am I. I'm I'm sure Mike is too to to figure out uh, uh, how people react to this over time. He's, he's been flabbergasted with this. It's been, it's been fun to see his reactions. Cool. Now to get back to, uh, to you, um, to throw the spotlight back onto you. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny because at, at Gen Con this year, I was kind of hoping to bump into you, but I was surprised at where I actually wound up bumping into you. It was kind of serendipitous. I was. We don't talk to... about the bat. We don't talk about the bathroom. Yeah. No. 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 We don't talk about that. But um, I actually met you first at the uh, at the Hillfolk signing. That uh... right. Right. The Hillfolk signing. Not at all the bathroom or any of the other places <laughs> where we've. Totally not met. No. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that was the what Thursday signing. Um, it I was in between. So, yes. Yeah, I had time in between two panels when they were going to do a signing for 
the Hill Folk and Blood on the Snow books, and I was one of the people who wrote a setting in Hill Folk um, called uh, Tesseract Wyoming, which is my idea of taking social cyberpunk, mix it with Stargate, <laughs> and and place it in the middle of nowhere, which happened to be a place I was driving through when I moved from Denver to Seattle. I was driving through Wyoming and looked around and saw this sort of desolate, you know, uh, I sort of had a moment of like, this is an oasis if instead of like fruits or water, it was cheap land that you were really coveting. <laughs> and and so this sort of just – and then a line just said like I've got to get back to Los Angeles. Wyoming is too expensive and I made a setting around that concept. <laughs> cool. I enjoy watch, uh, flipping through those books because it was not at all what I expected from the title of the book, but so many great people contributed to them, um, and it was really fun meeting you guys there. Um, and, of course, uh, Robin um, was uh, somebody I was really looking forward to meeting because, well, I haven't really officially announced that yet, but uh, we are looking at some cool stretch goals, and his name is going to pop up there for our upcoming Kickstarter Ooh, secrets leaked. Yes. This is an illicit podcast now. Yep, yep. Um, not official, but yeah, it's um, it's going to be exciting next week when I start dropping bombs like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, I'm just lighting the fuse. People can start, you know, wondering what it's going to be. I think uh, it's pretty obvious when you look at what Robin does. But, um, but yeah, I got to I got to meet you, and it was it was. I, I enjoy meeting the people who create this stuff, but it was also an opportunity to try and try and lay the groundwork. So I was glad when you accepted the, the invitation for the podcast, because one of the games that one of the first games that I contributed to that was, you know, in, in any way crowdfunded was actually your Myth Ender game when you did the Random Kindness Edition. Um, let's go ahead and talk about that. Um, what brought about the Random Kindness Edition, and what was the what were your goals for it, and why did you choose Mythender as the project? All right, so the Random Kindness Encounter Edition comes from the Random Kindness Encounter Bundle, which was an ad hoc charity that um, a friend of mine, uh, Elizabeth Shoemaker Sampat, put together for a friend of hers, now a mutual friend of ours, uh, Kelly Klein, who, in spite of having medical insurance that she was paying for because her and her husband are both uh, freelancers she had around she had um uh, the best way to put it is all this cancer mm -hmm. she had a lot of cancers mm -hmm. and at one point she ended up saying and this a lot of this is Elizabeth's story she tells it much better um <laughs> but like like you know great i'm almost cancer free i only have to deal with ovarian cancer now oh. and and the bills for that were in the order of like nine thousand uh, dollars after the insurance was all taken into account. <laughs> and you know, so it's a thing of like, yay, cancer, but now like crushing debt, and of course, crushing debt creates with it stress, and that really inhibits the healing process. And and so Elizabeth thought, hey, what about you know, I, I want to do this thing. I've done. She's or I'm saying I in that uh, using quotation marks she's done stuff like this before so she approached me about it and i 
you know, knew enough about working with uh, PayPal's API and stuff like that to put together something. Knowing now what I know then, I wouldn't do, I would not touch PayPal with anything crowdfunding. Um, but uh, I was not educated onto all the ways that PayPal can screw you in that regard Ouch. back then. So, so we were okay. We ended up flying under the radar on this. Um, but so we put together a thing, and we figured. I ended up sort of thinking about it, and I I said to Elizabeth, like, uh, you know what? I, why don't I put Myth Center on there? Uh, and it hadn't been, it, it wasn't done yet. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'll put this is this will be how I put out Myth Center. She's like, cool, that sounds awesome. So, uh, we hang on a second. My cat is deciding to chime in. All right. So yeah, so tell tell, to, tell, what, tell the cat to speak up. We can't hear. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah. So it was this. You know. Hey, I'll put Mythender on there. And she didn't realize at the time that what I meant was, I will ransom Mythender, and if I don't get enough money, I'll destroy every copy of the game that's on my computer. <laughs> when she found out that's what I meant, it became a very different game to her. It's like, oh, you're not playing around. Like, nope. Gun to my baby's head. Uh, if we don't get four thousand bucks in a month, I kill it. Uh, I mentioned that as part of the thing, and, and all of the paying, like I think it was like paying five or five or ten bucks, gave you uh, all of the different um, things that you could get. The the other contributors who added their games to the bundle, and you got mine when it came out. More more than that, and I would make custom stuff for you, which I have still not made yet. Um, and we can talk about that if, if that's a thing. Um, and I just like, all right, I'll go. And now I finish Myth Ender. And I thought it'd be like three months to finish this game. Um, I said, yeah, $4,000 in a month. Then I'll make this game. We, I got that in three hours. <laughs> uh, we eventually closed the charity off when we reached fifteen grand, and the additional over that and dealing with taxes because we were an ad hoc, not actually a charity charity. Um uh, went to uh, the American Cancer Society, um, and so we packaged, you know, all the stuff up, gave it to people, and I started working on Mythender. And it took me a year longer, easily, than I was expecting to finish the game because um, I kept writing, and I kept <laughs> thinking, and I kept thinking it's it's got to be done now. And I would talk with people, and they would tell me something else that was weird because it's a bit of an esoteric game that I didn't talk about. And so I ended up writing a tutorial chapter. I'm like, the tutorial will be short and it's, it's I think about 40 pages long, which is as long <laughs> as the actual chapter for the rules itself for battling somebody. Um, it just became this much bigger book. Um, so a lot of what I was planning on doing for the book had changed. It was going to be something that you could easily print out as little tiny booklets that would be individual sections and you know, you'd staple, you know, you'd staple stitch them together and they wouldn't be more than like 16 pages or so. That became not really something that I could do once I had 40 page chapters lying around. Um, so eventually I put out this single PDF, but it all came from the fact that we raised a bunch of money for cancer. And I put the book that I had been working on for at that point, I think four years uh, on the chopping block saying, well, you know, if you guys want this, help my friends cancer bills. If not, that's cool. I'll just destroy it and move on to my next game. <laughs> so, um, 
It sounds it sounds like it was a uh, it was pretty much an all or nothing for you. You were you were kind of at a uh, turning point with deciding on making it or not. It was. I wasn't sure if I wanted to finish it. Actually, the, honestly, it was a. It had become a bit of a white whale, and I mean, I I could run the game, except for its at that point three flaws, and I would just smooth around those three flaws and pretend they didn't exist. Um, uh, but it was that that sort of made it go from, okay, uh, I'm I'm going to do something to help somebody else out. Um, I think people are going to like the game. Uh, I'm able to sort of just do this thing that makes me feel good about the way that I'm pushing out my game. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of felt better about that being how I did it. You know, it was, it was my big game that I instead of spending the money on myself and rent and stuff, you know, I spent on somebody else's, you know, ability to be cancer free. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to, you know, my, my, uh, my father passed away after um, a battle with cancer. So it's a, it's a topic that obviously affects a lot of people. And it's definitely something that got my attention when, you originally did it because I'm like Mythunder. I don't even know what he's talking about. And then I'm like started reading. You know, I'm like, oh, he's he's going to sacrifice his game if we don't. What is he doing? Oh, it's a cancer research or it's a cancer uh, project, and that immediately got won me over. And I was uh, blown away when the book finally came out because it was almost one of these things where. You know, I, I've gotten into a habit with Kickstarters where, you know, I fund stuff and then I don't hear anything for a while and then I wonder if something's happened and then poof, it's like magic. Suddenly there's something in your mailbox. Right. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like past it's, me gives me presents all the time. Yes, exactly. And um, it's, it's kind of fun because... Uh, they're trickling in all the time now, all these, all these projects, and they always have something unique or exciting about them. And, and what Mythender did was um, give me hours of just fun reading the narrative. I mean, the interesting thing is the free version, and it's, it is free currently out there. Um, uh, it, will, it will be free for as long as there is an internet to hold it. Yes, and that is actually available at RPG now, and I'll link that in the podcast description for you guys. And 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 uh, MythenderRPG.com is mm-hmm. where, which also has links to the, where it is on Drive Through and other stuff about it. And when I finally start making the additional content, um, things like that, there should we should I tell people what Mythender is about for the people who don't know? Let's let's start talking about it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um. So, Mythender is a game about uh, slaughtering gods because they have faces, and you should fix that problem. Yes. Oh, one quick disclaimer going forward. We might want to warn people if you have kids around or people that you don't want to hear colorful metaphors. Talking about the narrative of Mythender, we might be dropping some F-bombs and some other things. So, uh, language warning going forward. <laughs> I'm now, now I'm unshackled. This is fantastic. Yes. Yes. All right, I was waiting for you to say that. I was waiting for you to summon forth the beast. Um, <laughs> <Fucking> a. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's, it's a game about slaughtering gods. You are myth-enders. You are beings who go around and think that because uh, Thor or Odin or Freya or Loki or Fenris or whoever um, exists and they draw power from the worship and fear and awe of mortals, that that sucks. And you have the power to 
sunder them in a way that unmakes them from creation. You don't just kill them because gods kill each other all the time and then they come back, whatevs. Um, you end gods. You end these myths. The trick is that the mythic power that you have that gives you the ability to do this wants to corrupt you and turn you into a god. Um, so, in fact, if you if you end Thor, you might become the next Thor, and that's how the cycle of apotheosis and deicide uh, all get, gets around. So, it is a game about heavy metal. I'm going to like summon a mountain and lift it in the air and turn it into a thousand spears to get into your one little eye, Odin. Um, it is also a tale of whether or not you're going to hold on to your mortality and try to not be totally consumed by the power and then become the thing that you hate and that your friends will kill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things, I mean, just reading the book, the first thing that kind of leapt out at me is I kept thinking, this needs a heavy metal cover. Um, <laughs> this looks like a heavy metal album cover brought to life. Uh, I got a very strong visual impression, despite the fact that the current editions don't have artwork. Um, you will be having artwork in the final edition of the game, though, that the print-on-demand edition that's coming soon, right? Yeah, uh, well, and, and that will also be the, f- the free one will be updated. And then, then, so the plan is, I have a lot of old art. Like, I don't have heavy metal art so much as I have, like, old public domain period art for... Um, not not just necessarily for this time period of of mythic Norna, which is mythic Scandinavia, but also just that sense of medieval people bringing the pain onto demons and onto other beings that are much larger than themselves. Just really spent a while playing with a lot of public domain art, and I've got uh, a fantastic cover artist who has made the cover, which uh, I have linked to uh, frequently on. I think at this point. It might also actually be the cover that you see on Drive Through RPG because I think I updated it. But yeah, so mm-hmm. this really brilliant sort of anime esque heavy metal cover of this uh, woman with a giant sword who has ripped uh, Thor's head off and is just holding it up like it's a trophy. Yep. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, that'll be the the cover for the book. And I've spent the last few weeks off and on accidentally writing more content for the final edition of the book <laughs> accidentally well just it's sort of uh, so the way that drive through rpg um works as far as their print on demand is that books of various sizes and books of various color specifications have to have different uh amounts of multiples of pages so right. i, I want to say it's like I need six multiples of six pages for a six by nine simple color book, which is what I have. And so I had I was just on the cusp of like, oh, I need like two more pages. Um, and I couldn't think of anything that had two more pages, but I could I thought of something that had eight pages. So, you know, I'd go an extra multiple over. Um, and then I screwed up the math. And it turns <laughs> out that I was then over by two pages and I didn't want to remove two pages. So I needed to fill four more pages, um, which just <laughs> ends up being how I have an index now. Um, so it was just like, I screwed up the math a couple times looking at this because I didn't count like one of the files, right. Or something. Um, and so at the end, I've got the amount of pages that I need 
Um, oh, and because of the way it's set up, Lightning Source requires the drive through RPG goes through requires the last page to be blank. So I had to, and that was that was it. That was I had to add two more pages at the end because I needed the last page to actually be blank. So, and it currently wasn't blank because it was the credits for the random kindness encounter people. So I had to add two pages at the end. I'm like, oh, crap! That means I have to add four more pages again. So I kept adding content, which is why there's now extended rules chapter uh-huh. in the book, um, which has been I have like I have leaked that I haven't updated the drive-through RPG site or the Mythender site with this version of the book yet because I wanted to wait until everything was set and the proof was done and all of that before it sort of went to like the regular public but folks who follow me on the internet can find the versions that I have been pushing out on Dropbox um, that where you can see all these different things so I've got various rules for Destroying concepts in reality itself, which was an early thing that was in Mythender that I eventually took out because most people didn't really quite get how that worked, um, mm-hmm. at least in like a one-shot, which has turned out Mythender sort of more and more becoming a, a one-shot game about slaughtering gods and trying to not become them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and other stuff. So I just kept like writing material, putting in, hey, here's some advice for running the game uh, again. Um, here's some advice for making this thing. Oh, here's a rules clarification that someone finally told me needed a rules clarification and, and stuff like that. So um, I've just been spending a while fucking with the book, and I'm, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it being done. To be honest, I'm looking forward to it being done, but um, that doesn't just mean that I'm going to just throw it out. I mean looking forward to it truly being done so I don't have to revisit it and then it can actually move on to other projects in proper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so... So getting back to the core of the gameplay, basically your characters are are out there slaughtering gods and and being uh, awesome in in so many respects. And I, I love the phrase that you know you used to talk about being awesome because that kind of filtered into uh, the Fate Core System book, I think. But um, at least that was the first time I kind of picked up on it. Was which in phrase? Um, yeah. Just 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 using the word how to be awesome um, or just. You know, you you actually directly talk to the players in kind of a, a direct way with the, the narrative of the rules that um, I hadn't seen before. Um, it was uh, most role playing games or have kind of a dry approach to to engaging that, but this one is it's not just this is a game about trying to make the you know make a cool story. It's this is a game where you you know kick ass and take names and erase names. Right. I, I've yeah, there are bits in the book where. Um, where I will say things like, now it's time for you to be totally batshit hyphen awesome. Yeah. And and stuff like that where, I mean, that's one of the steps in forming your action is it's just called describe being awesome. It used to be called describe your action. Um, and a lot of little language tweaks I've spent over the years um, on this where I just watched how I was describing it at the table. And at one point I noticed, I didn't say, so describe being action. I said, so describe being awesome. And mm-hmm. people stepped up to that. Instead of just describing your action as very – I wouldn't say it's clinical. It's neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, you can describe a lot of things as your action. But if I ask you to describe being awesome or if I were to change – turn it on here. Describe being emo um, or you know, describe being mundane. Like if I change any of the coloration there, it focuses what I mean by, dis- by describe what you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so just to tell you, this is a step where you describe what you're doing is what the step is. I am just reminding you that 
while describing what you're doing, don't forget that what you're doing should be X. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of things, a lot of the language tweaks there are purely tweaks to help people remember crucial narrative elements. The, the, the weapons used to be called traits. Uh, weapons are the various things that you use to slaughter myths and gods, not just physical weapons like, you know, my heirloom sword, but, um, you know, to, to get all like Leonidas on here, the 300 Spartans who have my back is one of my weapons and, and my, um, my Spartan resolve and that, that sense of the wolf in the winter cold is another one. Uh, of my weapon, so the sort of things that are internal to you are, and those used to be called traits. So, because that's what people call things like that often, um, when you're sort of deciding and you're grasping for a name, and you're not, and you're still figuring out what something is. And the traits aren't inherently a bad word. Um, I tend to try to avoid keeping them as as that once I actually get farther into the into a project, because it's such a ne- neutral word that anything could be a trait. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had people come up with other traits that were very defensive, like my shield or like my invulnerability or things like that. And Mythender is a game where you narrate being aggressive. You don't narrate being defensive. There is no defense role in Mythender. Your defense role is kill the other guy first. Um, <laughs> uh, and because – and that's a design itself because I wanted one person to have a spotlight and not the other person to be able to take that away by rolling something different. Um, gotcha. Because as I want, I wanted the game to be about. So when you do an action, you form an action, you describe one of your weapons, you do a bunch of check boxes on the user interface that is the play sheet. Um, you describe what you're doing, and part of the truth is what you do works. Whether it has a lasting effect or not depends on how much power you're able to draw from that to pay for that being lasting. You can like slice, you know, my throat. And just like blood splurting out, and I'm like, and I'm fucking dying. But if you don't pay for that to be lasting, I heal like instantly. You still get power from being awesome in that moment, and you just chose to not let have that, or you weren't able to to put power into making that permanent. Um, but now I then you know have my turn to then build power by doing the same sort of thing, and then I do that to the players where I'll just. You know, I'll I'll have you know conjure spears out of the air, and like you've got like you have three hundred people. I just killed twenty of them. Um, but if I don't spend any uh, of this the currency that I can build up to make that permanent, um, then you could just be like, yeah, and they fucking heal because I'm a myth ender, and I will them to not die. Mm-hmm. Like okay, so uh, but a lot of people would would do this in very passive ways, like my invulnerability. Like okay, so how does your invulnerability help you? Uh, fight Thor and they'd be like uh, when he hits me I shrug it off like okay that's about him what about you and so over time I kept explaining around uh, this like loophole in in traits mm-hmm. and it's I mean it's partly because if you say hey, I'm invulnerable that sounds awesome mm-hmm. Your Wolverine's invulnerable sort of I mean he's awesome he's got rap, you know mute healing that's cool um so we have a lot of narrative around defensive awesomeness mm-hmm. in, in popular culture. So it's very easy to go to that. So when I started calling these weapons instead of traits, people stopped doing that or did it to a much less degree. And I was able to spend fewer words explaining around something and just simply state, nah, I don't think that's a weapon. 
that's just something you can do. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of these language choices end up feeding in. And so when people are looking at the way that Mythender is written, it's written that way because uh, I want people to, at constant points in the game, remember the emotional context of that. And because Mythender is a game that is about very specific emotional contexts. It's not a game that is meant to fill a broad amount of emotional context. It's, it is, it's focused enough to where you can do that. If you make a broader game, um, then you lose, you'll have to lose some of those parts of, of that language, not necessarily all of them, but some of them right. and the, and, and the broader the game still, um, the broader the appeal, you end up getting more towards a clinical or procedural language than an emotional language or a colorful one. Right. Um, one of the things that uh, I wanted to kind of underline with, with that language and with that choice of language was kind of how you talk to the the Mythender or the Mythmaster, sorry, um, in the in the running Mythender chapter, which one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was was trying to encourage a difference in the roles between the Mythmaster and the and the other players, the Mythenders. Right. But, you know, it's like the language you've taught, you know, making characters is all about being aggressive and angry. But the Mythmaster is kind of the opposite. It's like most of the time when people sit down, like especially novice GMs or novice Game Masters, like when they're being their Dungeon Master for the first time, they're kind of get this powerful godlike approach to everything where I'm in charge, I do this and that. But I think the phrase that you used was grovel and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, also, be their butler. Be their yes. narrative butler is also another one. Um, so, and actually, I mentioned this specific story in the book where I talk about um, how it's okay to screw up. Uh-huh. Um, I figured this out the hard way. Um, I, I was trying to bring the pain in one of the early playtests of Mythender where I had... The Mythenders come up to a bunch of people. I had remind, and I had reminded the players early on. Oh, by the way, if you want to kill people, it's not a roll. Um, you just do it because they're mortals. What 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 the fuck can a mortal do to you? Nothing. Um, uh, which is not entirely true. A mortal can make you sad. Um, <laughs> that's uh, true. But that's on you. It's. Um, but anyway, you. So I had this. So I had a bunch of mortals who are like, "Get out of here, you know, Mythenders. Go home." No one wants you here. And the the one of the players just turned to me and was like, so I can just kill them like nothing, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like thinking like, yeah, it's a moral choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, man? And he said like, do they know that? And I'm like, oh, fuck, they should, shouldn't they? <laughs> like, this is, wait, I'm actually giving you a bullshit moral choice, aren't I? Can we replay that totally? And, like, yeah, so we, and I had them groveling at him, and suddenly they felt like they were playing Mythenders, uh -huh. more so than when they were fighting Thor. Um, okay. Because that was the platform. That was the, the platform in the tilt, where I had them groveling. And in doing that one change made the game so much different. Uh -huh. It made the game really starting to become what I wanted the game to be. Um there are a bunch of weird things like that that are in the book. I originally never wanted the game to have rules where you could terrorize mortals for power, um, which you can do in Mythender in order to get sweet, sweet power because power is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, 
I kept having people saying, like, so if gods can do this and I have the power approaching gods from the same source, can't I as well? I'm like, no, you're mythenders. That's a horrible thing to do. Uh, and I'd said this for a while, and at one point I en- ended up saying, yeah, sure, uh, I'll give you this if you do it. And I watch people say, oh, yeah, I totally want that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's kind of – and then I watch the person say – one guy say, no, I'm not taking the power. And suddenly in that moment, I'm like, oh, if I make this a choice, then if you choose not to take power, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so looking at a lot of things where I set, where I would think – I don't want the game to be about X. Well, I'm not going to entirely be able to stop it if that's if that's something I said as part of the truth of the world. Like, I don't want the game to be about power and corruption and stuff like that. Well, if I say, uh, you're probably going to be corrupted and become a god, well, I'm, I'm lying to you about saying the game. I don't want the game to be about that. I don't, totally, truly don't want to be the game about bullshit social negotiations with mortals so the game isn't about that and nothing suggests that the game is about that but it's there's definitely an interesting line where you're watching the things you're saying your game is about and then you're looking at the way that the rules do or don't reflect that Mm -hmm. Um, and then you watch how your language does or doesn't reflect that as well Um, early drafts of Mythender were actually really dry they were like the skulls telling you of the heroes of the past um, but I never ran the game like that. I always ran the game like, oh man, this is totally fucking awesome. You've totally ripped off his head. He's still biting you because he's not dead. What the fuck do you do? Um, which is totally not. And the skulls tell the stories of the heroes who didn't get bitten by Odin. You know, it's not. And so eventually people were like, why don't, why don't you write it like that? And I had so much fun writing it like yes. that. Um, and I'm like, this is actually fun. This is neat. And I, every now and then I swore off writing in character voice, um, because character voice is such a pain in the ass. But if you can write in a voice that isn't a specific character, but is still a mode, um, Mm -hmm. that can be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to do like when I worked on some of the stuff for the Levitt role playing game, um, I had to. Because I wrote a good chunk of the quick start job. So I had a combination of sounding like I was Nate and sounding like I was Hardison. Or, yeah. And it was sort of weird. Um, but yeah, if you can just write in a mode, that ends up being pretty fun. But that mode turns people off. Like, I get people who say to me, like, yeah, I read the game and I just, you know, didn't care for the voice. And I'm thinking, like, well, the game really isn't for you. If you don't care about that voice, you don't actually want to play my game. You know, it's that um, some people, you know, think it's, people who are foolish will say that and think it's a judgment call in the game. Really, it is a call saying your taste will not match this game. And so it's weeding you out before you have this experience. You won't have fun or you mm-hmm. won't find fun. Right. Um, but dumb people think that that actually means the game doesn't work. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's an aesthetic. That. It's an aesthetic uh, reaction. It's not right. a uh, um, objective one. Right. Um, but people love to assume that their aesthetic reactions are objective because it's the internet. <laughs> um, I have to say that, you know, when, when, when you drop the F-bomb and even the description for the uh, for the game, it was kind of... Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember uh, uh, exactly how you described it on, on DriveThruRPG, but uh, I was like, oh, he's not... Um, He's not fooling around with this. Yeah, <laughs> I think I may have taken that out for of the... Um, 
Uh, I think it may have taken that out of the cover itself because that's also the back cover text. <laughs> um, so I have to look through because I, um, uh, if I, uh, there's there's a chance that like I've got a friend who uh, my friends over at Endgame in Oakland, California, uh, want to sell copies of Mythender, so I want to make sure that. They don't feel like they need to put it in a brown paper bag. To do so. <laughs> I mean, granted, I get to keep kick-ass erase names at the top of the book. So, yep. um, yeah, my a good friend of mine, Chris Hanrahan, is I've consulted with him a number of times on. So uh, if I do X for the cover, is that a problem? Uh, do Y. OK, cool. I can totally do that. Um, thing, things like that. It's been it's been great to have people in the larger community support me i mean i did the layout on my own which is to say i did the layout with advice from daniel solis and advice from adam jury and um you know i I got the pod files working because i got to talk with adam jury a bit about uh the ink limits that drive through rpg has to deal with and Uh all of these like all these things that people have helped me do for this game i have essentially made on my own i mean had uh the, the esteemed and, and awesome uh, Josh Roby, who worked on the Smallville role-playing game uh, as one of its principal designers, uh, was the editor on my book. And we frequently worked together on stuff, um, on his Vicious Crucible projects and, and other things. So he edited it. He made a lot of calls. There were times where he actually told me that I was being weak sauce in my own book. <laughs> he was like, yeah, Ryan, the, the other page was actually more fun to read. Like, all right, I'll fix it. He's like, hey, remember that time when you were being awesome? Why isn't that here? Right, <laughs> I mean, he didn't he didn't quite use those words in in text, but when we were talking, there was a bit of that. Um, so he's kind of your myth master. He yeah, he was. He and I have been collaborating together for years, so it was it was great to get to him to go through and just tell me the book, tell me about how the book was ordered wrong at one point. He's like, yeah, you know, these chapters are totally in the wrong order. Oh fuck! All right, I'll fix that. And <laughs> and things like oh, and this thing should actually be its own chapter. Like the the rules for murdering one another is like that's important enough to be its own chapter. I don't care if it's a small chapter. I'm like okay, I'll I'll put that in its own chapter. Um, it is, so. it is interesting trying to organize your thoughts um, when you're designing a game like that. Uh, we we've been working along the same lines with you know a lot of our projects, and every now and then you look at the big picture you you know if, if you can get somebody who does that for you like a, a good editor it really yeah. helps because sometimes it's really hard you get so myopic when you're working on the text it's really hard to see some of those patterns shifting and and when when somebody goes hey you know if you put this chapter first then it explains a lot of what you're trying to repeat right. over here and you don't have to repeat it right i, I actually have a service where i um, we'll just do that. I, I won't necessarily go through and do copy editing or even uh, uh, smaller scales of developmental editing. I'll just go through and point out organizational things and like, you need to explain this. You need to reorganize this. You know, I'll spend a few hours on a book and uh, just to have somebody, but I can't uh, obviously can't do that on my own stuff right? because as I read it, I see all of the cogs moving. Mm-hmm. Where somebody reading it for the first time, they see a cog and they see another cog being placed. And that's the thing about a lot of these, you know, a lot of role playing games is there is an intro 
there's a way to insert yourself into a game, and typically that is through character creation, which is why character creation is usually early into a game, even if it's not the best way to start explaining a game, which is why in Fate Core we have the basics before we talk about character creation. Um, the, but the sense of doing that and that sense of, okay, well, this is how I get into it. Now, now I've inserted in here. There's like 11 things pulling me in different directions. Um, what, what is it that I do? What is it that I deal with? Um, in Mythender, there are two main different sets of rules, depending on whether or not you're fighting a god or you're not fighting a god. And, you know, so it's like, ah, here's the structure of a game. And look at this chapter for this time. And look at this chapter for this time. Except also here's some supplementary stuff that hooks into both of those subsystems. And um, it's just that thing where trying to figure out where you put stuff um, and how you even just organize the hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. Where uh, the the concept in Mythender of blights, of things that you can create in the world that you can draw power from, like... Uh, the an endless forest fire or uh, summoning magma spirits or whatever. Um, it was its own chapter because it was both something you did during battle and outside of battle. But so I didn't always have it its own chapter. So it was one of those things where Josh pointed out things like this mm-hmm. should be its own thing. This needs to go before X. This needs to go after X. And it's a lot of stuff like that. It was um, yeah, that, that week of edits sucked. So let's go ahead and talk about the rules for Mythender. One thing I do notice that um, uh, it, it uses the commonly uh, available D6, but it uses a lot of them. Yep. Uh, my own set has around 200 different dice. <laughs> do you actually have a you... special uh, Mythender set? I, I do. I have only one set that I will play Mythender with. Uh, I mean, if somebody else wants to run it, that's cool. But as far as, like, my set for me running it, I have a carpenter's bag from Duluth Trading Company, which uh, this bag is just like it was like a $10 some odd bag that has three or not three, uh, six pockets in there. Um, this was all the rage with, like, the, the story game uh, indie people back in, like, 2009 or something where everyone bought this bag as a dice bag. Um, and it is able to separate the various components of Mythender, um, where there are three different colors of dice, um, of six-sided dice, two different kinds of tokens, and then uh, some special larger six-sided dice. And so I've got these six things that I can... And it's heavy, so like I start a game of Mythender by like throwing this bag down and letting it shake the table it's on, and... It kind of gets everyone's attention. It's sort of like a meteor strike and like, now we're playing. <laughs> uh, and then the ritual of like me constantly digging out stuff from the bag and everyone like, are you done yet? No, I've got like three more bags of these things to empty. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of components. There's a lot of six-sided dice. And that partly comes from having a dice set for Don't Rest Your Head, which requires six, um, ideally six red dice uh, per player, um, definitely six black dice per player, uh, three white dice per player, and then the GM should have some dice too. So I started with those, with those dice, and then it kind of just exploded as I kept designing the game. Mm-hmm. It so, reminds yeah. me. It reminds me a lot of uh, champions when you've got high-powered characters punching each other, and it's like, okay, let me pick up forty dice. 
Yeah, I've got the other one is Shadow Run. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and it's a 200 dice total, not 200 dice per player. I should point that out. Some people <laughs> immediately think per player. I'm like, no, no, no. It's a it's a communal set. Uh, your dice ebb and flow. Um, the the core mechanic is that when you do an action in Mythender in a battle, um, your action will succeed. Uh, the question is how much power do you get from your action in mm-hmm. order to make things lasting in order to increase your power for the next turn. And so you have this rating of of basic, when I do something, I always get to roll these dice. They are called storm dice because you are the oncoming storm. Um, they're these white dice. You roll them. Anything that's four, fives, or sixes is a success. Alongside that, you have these dice that measure how potent and powerful you are in this one specific moment uh, called thunder dice. You roll those and four, fives, and sixes succeed. Um, Any successes on storm dice become thunder dice for the future. Any successes on thunder dice become lightning tokens, and you spend lightning tokens to create lasting effects, such as wounding your foe or creating a blight, which is a wellspring of power in the form of some really fucked up thing you just did to the world. Uh, that you and your friends can call upon, which is the the main way that you can aid each other in Mythender is to create blights based on something that someone else can then narrate and use. Um, and so this it's this build up cycle, sort of inspired by watching like anime and thinking about limit breaks and um, and that sort of thing. And that's one of the very few things that has survived from day one of Mythender. Uh, is the basic die mechanic um, of one die equal one die feeds into the other die and the other die feeds into this token and these tokens do a thing. Um, and there are different ways in which you play with that. You play with what numbers are successes. You play with being re- able to re-roll them, play with how many dice you have. Um, the thunder dice are also your hit points. So the more powerful you are, awesome you actually can feel how powerful you are by holding the dice in your hand Mm -hmm. and then when you're wounded you roll those dice and you cast away whatever uh, failures you get which is a variable number um whenever you're hit it gets increases the more you get hit and so you actually feel yourself having been hit because now you have fewer dice in your hand Mm. uh and it's it's an it's an that is just a and you know specifically a tactile um, system. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to feel being hit. Uh, and I wanted you to be able to see me being hit as the myth master when I have to discard a bunch of dice. Cool. Um, and so as time went on, that meant having a lot more dice because the math kept increasing in certain regards. And so I would go to the game store and be like, oh, I'm going to need another 36 cube brick thing. All right. So I plopped that down. I put that in the bag. I think I did that like four different times eventually having um, uh, the like 200 some odd dice that I have right now. I don't <laughs> quite use all of them, but that's there so that we're not scrambling for like the last few. Um, I right. think I think I have maybe only had to use at most like 100 and 60, 180 dice at any one point in time. Okay. For like four people and a Mythmaster to the table. So a um, 
another quick highlight on the rules that um, some people might see as either a, a challenge or something for their own gaming group is is what is the what is the ideal number of players? The ideal number of players is three. Okay. Um, you can go up plus a myth master, so four participants total. You can go up to four myth enders and a myth master. Um, after that, there's a big problem with the game. If you have five myth enders, you can fix all the math in the world to make it to make the myth not too easy, not too hard. But there's so much time that goes on in between from the time when it's your turn to the time when it's your turn again, and so much different stuff happens that it's actually kind of boring. You you're you're watching other people have fun at a much um, lower ratio than the amount of times in which you are entertaining them. And so I eventually stopped trying to make the game work. I mean, mathematically, I know how to make it work at five and even six people. Um, it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. I've watched people's faces uh, at five and six player games, and that's what ended up making me just decide, okay, it's not for that many people. Yes, which which makes it kind of ideal for one of those game nights if you have like a larger gaming group. But you know, every every now and then, as people have adult lives, you know, there will yes. be that night where where half of the, your team can't show up, and you're like, well, we've only got two or three players. Um, you know, we need to run something different. We don't want to exclude everybody from you know our continuity of our other game. Uh, we usually break out a board game, but occasionally there's like a one-shot type of uh, role-playing game, and it sounds like Mythender is a great fill-in for when you guys just want to roll a bunch of dice and smite some gods. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's built for, it runs best in like five hours. It, mm-hmm. it runs from you've made characters to um, you've ended a god and possibly have become a god yourself. You know, in you can do it in four, if you are all familiar with how the game works, um, five is how much time I really like to have for that, which has made it really weird in the um, uh, in like conventions where I try to cram everything into four hours when it doesn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make characters beforehand, then you know, then it's that's that usually ends up being for first time people like ninety minutes of play. Mm. So you can then get in like three and a half hours from there. Well, that's cool. What's the um, uh, the t- now if you're if you're basically planning a game around a one shot, that usually means you have sort of a beginning, middle, end arc to the whole to the character's story. Do you frequently have characters kind of die at the end of the story, or 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 transform well, into gods? Well, that's actually my job as a mythmaster is not to win; it's to make you lose, <laughs> um, which is not the same thing. Uh, or rather, I mean, your job as a myth ender um, is to be totally awesome and slaughter myths. My job as the myth master is to turn you into a myth. These aren't mutually exclusive. Although, ideally, myth enders should also not try to become myths. About half the time people play the game for the first time, uh, they do the whole like, oh man, I'm going to take on so much power. I'm totally becoming a god in this in this thing. Um I've watched entire tables where none of them have taken up the other option of trying to seek sympathy from a mortal and like regain their mortality and, and, and dial back. I've watched them like, no, we're myth enders. We're totally want power so we can kill Thor or Hades or whoever. Um, and so 
Yeah, it, it is built to be a one-shot because I run it so often at conventions and I was watching its narrative arc pretty much be compressed. Um, it has no beginning. It starts in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beginning is character creation. The beginning is what person were you beforehand. Um, I mean, it's... I guess you could say it starts at the beginning in the fact that there's a tutorial battle, but you're already Mythenders at that point. So it's, it's, it is the middle of a story of um, batshit awesome people who have already become uh, these archons of destruction and harbingers of mythic doom. Uh, and now let's see if they survive this fight with Thor or if they become the next Thor. Or if they die, which is the good ending to a Mythender is to die in battle. Very cool. Um, you have a, um, you keep mentioning Thor and, and Hades. What is, what is the default kind of setting that you've provided? Uh, so Thor, so mythic Norden is the default setting. It's mythic Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always there because, um, that is the, to me, one of the most heavy metal of gods <laughs> to fight. Uh, but it, it also was because there was a point where I was really intrigued by the Christendom of, of Scandinavia in that time period. And the, the early versions of Mythender actually had none of you from Scandinavia. You were all from what was what I called mortal Europe. It had already been like Christianized. And you were bringing Christendom to Scandinavia by slaughtering their gods. <laughs> um, because... Uh, that's kind of a little bit of what it, it, it seems or feels like of, of, um, of as time goes on, the, it was something that I read like in GURPS Vikings a long time ago where trolls and whatnot actually had a vulnerability to Christian trappings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's weird. But I guess it would make sense if the people, as they became more Christianized, the myths themselves changed accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that sort of really intrigued me. And then, then I watched that really eh, meh Beowulf 3D one with Angelina Jolie as Grendel's mother. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, and then there was like the, he's fighting the dragon at the end. And he's on top of the dragon. I'm like, why can't I make, why, why can't games do that instead of having, you know, like why, why can that not be the default mode of, of fighting in a game? And a couple of things sort of fused together too come up with Mythender. So it was the fact that it was Beowulf inspired it. So Nordic, ta- you know, Nordic uh, hero, a Nordic story. Um, all these things sort of turned into mythic Norden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've run it for other, um, uh, for other gods. Uh, we did Hades uh, when I ran it for some of the Paizo folks last time. And we did Ares the first time I ran it for a bunch of Paizo folks. So, um, yeah, certainly not tied to there. I've got one that I'm going to be working on once I put out Mythender and get some other stuff done that I'm hoping to put out in next, sometime next year called The Mythic Now, which is uh, because I've had the tagline for this for like three years now, which is the gods have returned, so must their executioners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just the gods come back. Or the god, or the fact that there is a mythic world comes back, and the um, the descendants of mythenders, or just people who suddenly have like you know are wronged and, and take on mythic power, become mythenders to fight these gods. And it was like last week your city became a mythic world. Yesterday you became a mythender. Go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so that one ends up being different because Myth Ender, as it is, is about getting trying to be mortal is about getting strangers to accept that you're a human being, even though you can wield intense power. And the mythic now is more about the people who you know and love not, you know, seeing you as a monster and actually makes the rules slightly different. So I have to still work on that. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, but the, the battle stuff's all pretty much the same. But it's the it's the important part of Mythender that has to change. Interesting. That is that is a very uh, distinctive shift where you make it more personal. Yeah. Um, so that would have a lot more detail to the character's background and environment. Pretty much, it, it's a it would be a very different game because it is about it's you weren't intruders onto somebody else's land. As a Mythender, the the the, the conceit for starting a, a game is you've shown up somewhere mm-hmm. and there's a fight because myths hate you. Um, you know, that just sort of kicks off a, a myth ender story here. You, you have lived here. It's, it's such a different narrative that it's actually not trivial to hack it. Or at least it's not trivial for me to hack it in a way that's satisfying. Uh, someone else could probably totally screw it up by just slapping some paint on it. <laughs> So let's talk about hacks. Um, one of the things that uh, you did with this system, which uh, doesn't surprise me, looking at you know what a lot of companies are doing, but um, you you kind of made it a little open source by publishing it under a Creative Commons license, uh, so that people could kind of do their own thing with it. What was your intent behind that, and what results have you seen so far? Um, so nobody has actually grabbed the text and has done anything with it uh yet although people have talked about screwing around with it um one of the settings that i point out in the introduction of hey this is about mythic norton but here's a bunch of other things that you could screw with uh is uh mythic yorba which is uh a a mythic world in the greater world that is mythic africa um that's something that i was briefly chatting with uh Quinn Murphy about, and I've sort of given him like a, hey, if you want to make a Mythic Yorba sometime, as far as I'm concerned, that is your baby. You have fun. And that conversation of a few other conversations sort of cemented the idea of like, I, you know, if people want to play around with my silly game that involves 200 dice, um, cool. Uh, a bunch of people gave me a lot of money to help somebody else's cancer bills, so I will just keep on giving. Um, I, it's there because I want it to be, and it gives me a sense of maybe finality is not necessarily the right word, but um, it it is it, it's explicitly allowed to be something other than what I imagined it would be, and I am giving permission to people to surprise the hell out of me. By making something now, it's it is a non-commercial license um, because I'm not making any money off this game. <laughs> um, but it's also the thing where if somebody actually wanted to make a commercial one. Frankly, they could just talk to me. And that's the that's the thing that people don't realize a lot about Creative Commons uncom- uh, like um, non-commercial licenses is that you can actually maybe write and ask somebody, "Hey, I'd like to actually make this thing and also make it for money." And who knows what response you'll get but it's not the only license out there um 
I guess the, the reason that I do it like this is because if somebody was to do that, I'd actually like to know. I'd be like, oh, hey, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Whatevs, go you. Um, and anything done with, you know, the non-commercial attribution license, um, I would only find out if I Google search for Mythender and it happens to come up. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, but people have talked about hacking it for a while, and I, and I know that there are a number of people. Oh, the the one that I, I love, he, he stopped doing it. He, he accepted it. It's, it doesn't work anymore. But there's a guy who did it to hack it to be My Little Pony. <laughs> like It was like, yeah, he made it Friendship is Magic. Um, awesome. Uh, and he, as time went on, it actually became a serious hack, which meant that it was no longer a, it was no longer a joke. Like, ha I'll run My Little Pony with Mythender. And eventually, as time went on, he started to make a really good My Little Pony game. And in order to actually make it a good My Little Pony game, he had to stop making it Mythender. Um, <laughs> so, but he, he had his idea of, well, uh, in order to become Titanic, in order to, to draw this mythic power, instead of, of it being mythic, it's about doing things on your own. Because when you do things on your own, it corrupts you and starts to turn you into somebody who's bad. And so he had a he was like working on a bunch of like a normal a normal thing is about friendship and that's the safest action and as you do stuff on your own in order to try to win it, he had a bunch of really weird concepts in there that was a lot of fun but um and, and people will do that whether or not it's um uh um you know people do stuff like that whether or not it's creative commons so they'll screw around with stuff and they'll publish a little hack or something you know just put it out there on their blog i don't know if people will do anything with mythender in this regard but people are totally open to um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if somebody actually wants to like make a mythic world or something then and you know sell it for like a buck or two on on drive through and can you know actually ask me about it that sort of is you know very open door on that um but yeah, no, nobody's really done anything with, um, with it yet beyond just you know the typical stuff that fans would do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, nobody has made a, and I, I kind of honestly don't expect people to because it's such a specific game. I mean, it's not like Fate where um, you can you can graft a lot of both like subsystems and narrative beats onto onto a Fate game to make it your own. Mm-hmm. And since it's Creative Commons, you can do so. Um, uh, yeah, so I don't expect people to, but I welcome people to. Cool. And cool. that's why it exists as, as a Creative Commons thing. Also, I think I at some point said, yeah, you know, if we get 10000 bucks, fuck it, it's Creative Commons. I think I said at some point. In, and that was on day two. And by the end of day two, it was a Creative Commons project. <laughs> cool. So, so um before I let you go, I just wanted to try and surf the web here, see if we, we had one person pop in with a funny question, and I think you actually know this person, uh, Wes Schneider. Yeah, he's uh, uh, the editor-in-chief over at Paizo, <laughs> who, who played in the game where we ended Ares. Oh, cool. So, after all of the Mythender games you've played, he asks, what deity still has it coming the most? You know, we almost played a game. the The one that was ended up being uh, Hades at Paizo was almost Kali. I have not yet run a game uh, dealing with the Hindu gods, so I think, like, you know, that maybe Buddha. <laughs> um, I do actually have some text in the book about the God of Abraham. Uh huh. 
that may be conscientious, uh, 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 contentious a bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I guess, I guess I'd probably go with, uh, I mean, and, and I've, I've run games like, um, there was one game where we ended Cthulhu. There's a really fantastic game where we ended Santa Claus, God of charity. Um, <laughs> And children. Uh, that was such a fucked up game. Um, uh, it was really great. I, that one was one guy played Rudolph, son of Santa, when Santa had taken reindeer form in order to mate with another reindeer to create a scion capable of doing what Rudolph could do. And then was cast aside when Santa got GPS. <laughs> Shit like that. It was like, it was, and it was so fucking vicious. Um, but I'd say probably the end. I think that uh, the Hindu gods uh, have it coming. <laughs> they've been they've been untouched for long enough. Cool. Um, so yeah, That's which actually means that I would have to do a lot more research than the like the passing basic gamer knowledge I have <laughs> on that. It is it is kind of fun when you start seeing like when you were talking about um, you know trolls and uh, Christian mythology. It actually um, is pretty much uh, integral to how they describe trolls today, in you know, in fairy tales and stuff. But uh, um, I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Troll Hunter? I've not, but you were not the first person this week yeah. to tell me about it. <laughs> you should. You might. You might like that. It's kind of got a, uh, a little bit of reverse twist on on Mythender, where you know the mortals are running into these myths, but. Um, yeah, the, the the Christian blood, you know, smelling the blood of an Englishman, smelling the blood of a Christian, that kind of stuff, did work its way into uh, into mythology and into fairy tales as as it went progressively forward. So it's kind of a little hard to, since all of it was oral tradition, it's hard to kind of track stuff back and find out where things went uh, were originally. But yeah, um, going back into some of those, uh, pulling out some of those characters and finding out where they went to. You know, and then coming up with your own ending for them. It sounds like a really fun premise for a game. Oh, um, one question I did want to ask about uh, math and the numbers. I did mention this uh, when we were talking earlier. How much do you plan to run uh, to charge for when you're doing the print-on-demand? Because I definitely want to get this in book form. Uh, so the numbers make it to where the print-on-demand from DriveThruRPG at $20 US or whatever that translates into in euros or um uh or canadian because drive through also sells um we we'll also do pod in the uk which allows it to ship apparently cheaper to canada than shipping it on the same damn continent because <laughs> shipping sucks um so the yeah so 20 dollars us um which ends up actually breaking down to uh and this is the fascinating thing is if you really look at the numbers, you can actually find out all this on your own, which is why I'm very totally cool with, with uh, sharing it. Um, the It's 276 pages, I think, or 286, one of the two total pages, um, where um, it's simple color so that I can have the red in there uh, where I do, which ends up really making it nice and pop out. Um, it's like a cent more a word or a cent more a page than not having it. Uh, so it's basically end up paying $3 more per unit. It brings it up to about $8.10 is how much it costs to for the base price of Mythender. That's how much um, uh, drive through RPG and Lightning Source uh, would charge to make it happen. 
So anything on top of that, um, I sell. Then there's like um, some. Then then from there, whatever's left over is split. I want to say like sixty five percent or something. I actually forgot to look up that number before we got on here. But basically, I I, I get roughly like I think seven dollars if I sell it for twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given my various expenses just on, on the cover art and on the proofs and things like that, um, it will take around 40-ish copies in order to break even. So, And that was my plan was I, I want to be able to break even in between 40 and 50 copies um, because we'll see, we'll see how well it sells. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I know a bunch of people have said they totally want to get it, and I think that that number is somewhere roughly around 50 people. Um, who have actually expressed to me directly that they are totally looking forward to getting it, and that's where I end up having to price. Okay, I need it to be this much in order to not lose my shirt, so that I can pay for rent next month. Mm-hmm. So it is a lot of because I and this is a very shoestring budget. Um, uh, and then from there, uh, whatever I end up getting left over, you know, I get to put into future projects and and things like that where. Um, you know, maybe the next Myth Ender project or um, painting for art for something else. Um, but yeah, so it ends up basically running around there. Um, because of that, it means that I can put a little bit um, like direct sa- uh, or sale selling like directly to uh, a game store or two that I have a rapport with. And so it'll be on a f- on like a couple shelves. But yeah, so those are the numbers. So that's that ends up being why I was originally going to price it at sixteen, mm-hmm. and that was going to spread out how long it was going to take to for me to be able to recoup the costs from uh, from the cover art and from the the proofs that I have to order, of which I have to order two. I've I've ordered one. I've got a bunch of stuff I have to send back that are corrections, and the margins are off, and the the color on the on the cover needs to be tweaked. So. I've got to order another one, and if that one's good, then I can actually make it live. If it's not, I've got to order a third one, and each of those costs me around like, with shipping, I want to say like twelve or thirteen bucks. Um, so I'm basically just trying to not um, lose too much money on the process for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where where those numbers come from. Yep. Um, if if this was a thing that I was like, yeah, I bet like hundreds of people would buy it. And I'll do like a Kickstarter and stuff like that. Numbers would be dramatically different. But we were looking at um, one printer company that um, that's some, some of my friends use. And their price break for um, Mythender would not have been better until around 1,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that I wanted to warehouse and try to sell a thousand copies of Mythender and, de- <laughs> and, and, and deal with, you know, things like inventory tax and all of that stuff on mm-hmm. that much product. Um, if it was already something that um, I, you know, was kickstarting, people had heard about it for a while, but it wasn't free, you know, m- maybe I would do that. Maybe I'll do that for my next thing. But for this one, that's how the numbers work out. And because it's been free and out for long enough, even though I'm putting out what's essentially I'm doing all this work to make a deluxe edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it, however, all the stuff that's in the deluxe edition will also be free. Um, so 
will, you know, it's been out free long enough to where it'll be the diehard fans that are interested in buying the book. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, hopefully there's enough to where I can make a little money to go into making another game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the hope. Really, actually, the hope, frankly, is to be able to pay my cover artist from that money and not from my own pocket. That would really be awesome. Because um, <laughs> I, I suddenly have to have a car payment again. So I know yeah. that feeling. Yeah, it's just it's like, oh, hey, look, all that money I was planning on using for you know my personal tiny business of being a little indie publisher or groceries. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. I was yeah. um just had to kind of forcibly move and and the the last the last shipment of stuff I was, you know, the last uh set of boxes I was pulling out of my truck, I opened up the back hatch of my buck uh truck and the and the hinges on the on the truck just on the hatchback just self-destructed and twisted apart. Oh. So I was like, really? Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, I understand that. I it was a little over a month ago that my engine made a noise in my um, uh, in my escort, and uh, took it to the to the shop. And three hundred and sixty dollars later, uh, the answer was you need a new engine. <laughs> so I'm like, wow. oh great, well, that cost me three hundred and sixty bucks to find out my car doesn't work. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that ended up actually that. It's things like that really inform what you what, what it is that you will try to do, and uh, so I have a bunch of game ideas that basically sit on my hard drive until I have the ability to turn them into something that is um, real. Maybe is a word that's possible to use. Um, I don't want everything I possibly do to be a Kickstarter, so little games that I want to put out still are going to require me to have some upfront cost or mm-hmm. things like that. So I keep doing freelance uh, editing and writing and stuff like that in order to fund other games. But then my car blows up and then the money goes into my car instead or whatever. <laughs> so uh, anybody who's been following me on the internet has heard me complain. I think once every three months about needing to put a few hundred dollars into my car. Yeah. So it's been actually slightly annoying when the next answer is, well, if you got four thousand dollars for a new engine, <sighs> I put in so much money in that car. It's, kind of... <laughs> it's like, yeah, people are asking you, well, if you have money to buy a new car, why aren't you doing this other thing? And I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand that this is not, uh, uh, you know, that this Venn diagram is smaller than you seem to think it is. Right. It it is, and the money to buy a car is. You know, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's the proof that I do this because I love it. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, cause I, I used to be a software developer that made a lot more money until I got burned out on software developing. And then my skills got old because I spent a year not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a year in software development time is like a fucking epoch. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but yeah, um, the answer is the numbers say I get around seven bucks a copy if I sell it for 20. 
<laughs> I think. I think it, I got to relook at the numbers, but yeah. So that's why. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons why you know I mean people were raising eyebrows when I took over Vigilance Press and all of a sudden our prices started going up. It's like yeah because I was offering print on demand because I was offering full color interiors and all this other you know yeah. layouts and stuff and we were really doing a lot of work on you know that 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 would create a better product but at the same time there's costs involved in producing that product that. Yeah. A lot of people don't see and, unless you lay it out for them, and uh, it's kind of interesting the the new sense of transparency that that uh, some game designers have, like you know you, Fred Hicks, and uh, others in that camp. I'm I'm starting to kind of wade into that pool myself a little bit and talk a little bit more about that stuff, but I usually don't like to type, talk prices just because I have that uh, I don't know. I, I try to say to people, well, look, the costs aside this is worth this, isn't it? You know, that's kind of my thought, but, uh, I, it's, I, I, I've been seeing a lot of good response from the audience for, for being, for that transparency. It's a thing where if you treat people, you're only going to be talking in those moments to a subset of your audience. Because not all of your audience is following you or, or going to see stuff like that. The subset of your audience that is following you is really interested in that sort of thing and if they're still complaining about the price frankly they were going to pirate it anyway <laughs> so you know it's it, i don't think you lose as much when you're at our scale to talk about those sort of prices and um because we are our stakeholders so if there's a sense of risk it's our risk it's not um we aren't risking you know a bunch of you know the the like the the livelihoods of employees or stuff like that by, you know, making a a weird wrong move in a transparency regard. We we're flexible because we are small people, mm-hmm. um, and so it makes it a good space for an interesting experiment. I mean, there are definitely times when I'm not trans. Uh, my cat decided to be a cat and scratch at the stuff it's not supposed to scratch at. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's just that thing where we can be transparent. I'm not transparent about everything because there's boring details and there are details that I still want to be mom about. But, you know, like I've not mentioned how much, you know, certain things, you know, end up costing. I'll tell you, you know, that my cover art, um, you know, I got that for, uh, you know, 250 bucks. Um, you know, because if I tell you enough of the math, you can reverse engineer that anyway. Uh, I'm not going to assume my audience is dumb or mm-hmm. lazy. Um, There's a couple yeah. of things I don't talk about. Um, in particular, actually, artwork is one of the things I generally eschew uh, discussing, mm-hmm. mainly because um, I, I understand, you know, I came from an art background, and I understand that right. as an artist, I will sometimes give one person one price and another person a different price. And there are a lot of factors that go into it, and it's totally fair. But other people will just hear, "Well, you got, you gave this person this price. I want that price." It's like it's a different project. You yeah. Know, you know, well, that, it's coming totally. at a different time, and all this other stuff. So it's like it's very, you know, I'm very sensitive about like who, you know, how much I paid certain people. Yeah. Um. So I'm very, the, I'm very, very clear about okaying that kind of stuff with the people I worked with before announcing anything like that. 
and, and when it comes to my own rates for writing or design or stuff like that, I um, people may ask me more what my rates are, and my response is, well, what kind of project are you talking about? Because mm-hmm. that will that will inform a lot. You know, what is your timeline? That will inform whether or not I can do it in the first place, and um, you know, all of those things end up being factors. And as time goes on, I'm even shifting how I do. Um, like for editing, I've recently shifted to where instead of doing it based on per word, um, I'm doing it based on per hour with a, a projection and a, a cap of um, of hours. That kind of roughly translates into X per word. But if something ends up blowing up and requiring more time, it becomes a negotiation point. Because uh, I've been bitten before by saying, yeah. Uh, you know, X per word, and I look at it, and what I'm basically making an hour ends up being closer to, uh, instead of like say like 25, which is livable if, you know, you know, considering that you're you know being having to deal with, you know self-employment tax, um, to like 10, mm-hmm. um, and so that just you know I, I have to make sure that I'm not making, um, ter- putting myself in a situation where I can't actually survive or or i become resentful i mean i have a day job so you know i have that covered but you know the amount of time i spend at home in order to do these things needs to be able to uh pay for itself otherwise i should be spending this time making my own games right which i still do but i you know the the money from other stuff going in to be able to like pay for um layout costs and stuff like that is still handy mm-hmm well, thank you very much. I'm going to go ahead and, I think, call this a podcast. We're at uh, 20 minutes over the hour mark now. <laughs> yeah, well, so let it, me... it, it, it ended up talking about numbers, and that, yes. that becomes talking shop for yep. folks like us. So, so um, I would love to have you back on the show again. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, Creative Commons license and um, you know publishing and things like that, um, and editing, because um, I would like to kind of get some of our editors and, and kind of talk about the different... I, I like talking about how things get made, you know, how, how different companies approach different projects. So it would really be kind of fun to kind of talk about your process and how it might differ from job to job. So if you have time, we'd love oh. to bring you back. I mean, certainly. I mean, it's different from working with PISO versus working with... Onyx Path on the on White Wolf properties versus working with Evil Hat versus working on my own stuff. It's all mm. been different and informed. Um, in the in the meantime, uh, my blog RyanMacklin.com. I talk about a lot of such making of stuff uh, as the mm-hmm. mood strikes me. Yep, I definitely have that favorited. <laughs> yay! So, yay! All right, thank you very much, Ryan. Um, again, the game is Mythender. If you fell asleep somewhere in the first thirty seconds of the uh, podcast, um, <laughs> you're just now tuning in. Um, and you can go to Mythender. Is it dot org or dot com? Uh, uh, MythenderRPG.com. dot com. And um, check it out. There are links to download it for free. I'll be linking those in the text of the podcast. So um, if you have any trouble trying to find it, uh, just shoot me a message or uh, contact Ryan. Um, what what uh, people can follow you on Twitter and other yeah, stuff? Yeah, uh, um, Ryan Macklin on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. All all of that stuff can be found off of my blog. Mm-hmm. And yes, if you cannot find Mythender. Um, 
then you can Google for Mythender, and I'm sure it will come up. Uh, for a while, uh, a uh, I think it was a German furry came up a lot when Mythender was first being. It was weird because I I was like, so is this name taken? And uh, it was, and it was sort of interesting just to sort of like follow this person whose online handle was the same as the name that I wanted to take for my game. Uh, that is just a weird sort of note, and I thought I would share that with you. <laughs> Goodbye, Internet! <laughs> Good night, folks. Thank you again. Bye-bye. <laughs>